I also, um, I want you to keep that round of applause going for the greatest 90s sports movie. Mighty Ducks. No? Anyone? Come on. Whatever. Y'all are Mighty Ducks haters. It's fine. I love this movie. I, I love Mighty Ducks. Uh, I was a child of the 90s, and I remember Emilio Estevez trying to get this ragtag group of uh, kids together, and he was trying to work out his own stuff in the process. But it's, it's about um, hockey players, and, and truth be told, I don't know nothing about hockey. I'm, I'm more of a baseball, football type of person. And uh, all I know is that they had this thing in the Mighty Ducks called the Flying V, right? <laughs> the Flying V. This is like the essence of the whole movie. Knuckle pucks from the last one and then Flying Vs. And uh, the Flying V was when, like, you know, they would set up, like, like ducks in the formation. One person be out front, they pass the thing, and then they score goals. It was the greatest thing in the world. Even when I watch like uh, NHL games today, I can't help but call for the flying V, right? I mean, like some of you dads of soccer kids, you're always like, that's the first play you're learning. We're teaching you how to do the flying V. Uh, why, why is the flying V so, um, so helpful, so important? Well, uh, in real life, ducks fly long distances. They fall into that V formation. And, and uh, you know, it's that whole thing where they get up and, and there's like one in front and everybody else kind of feathers out, uh, pun intended. And, uh, and, and then they go together and then one of them will kind of cycle back after their turn and they'll keep going. And they just, it's, a, it's a model of efficiency. It's a model of movement. It's a model of, of journeying together. And um, I think it's actually a model of what God calls his church to look like. Uh, today, as we bring this series on joy to a close, I want to title this last chapter in the series, The Joy of the Journey. The Joy of the Journey. One of the premier writings about the joy of the journey uh, in the New Testament is found in the book of Hebrews. It's a letter written to uh, a group of people. We call this letter Hebrews. And in fact, this whole entire series of It Brings Me Joy, it's based around this one very simple verse. This one idea found in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It's a counterintuitive verse of the counterintuitive use of the word joy. And here's what it says about Jesus' joy. It says, Jesus, right, for the joy set before him. He did something really counterintuitive. He endured the cross, scorned its shame. That means he was triumphant over it. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Uh, how many of us are, I mean, not to like pander to the crowd today, but how many of us are grateful for the joy of Jesus that endured the cross? I mean, like, come on. Like, where would we be if Jesus didn't have joy in his mission of giving himself up for the sake of you and me, for the sake of, of the world. That's kind of a cheap applause. Um, I, I want to know this, though. How many of us are grateful that Jesus had joy in it? I mean, that, they don't applaud. But, like, have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus found joy on the other side of that cross? In the giving up of himself, he brought us back and he set us on a new course with a new family that has a new hope, a new MO, so to speak. And this MO has been kind of the series idea that we've uh, built this entire series around is that we are people who give up of ourselves. And when we do that, when we give up of ourselves, just like Jesus gave up of himself, we always find joy. We've said it this way, is that giving up is never a letdown in God's family. Giving our time, giving our money, giving our prayers, giving our attention, giving up our pride, all of it brings us and God joy when we give up for others. I want to continue in Hebrews today, just a couple uh, sentences after that verse. There's another surprising use of the word joy that I think is just as counterintuitive and maybe 
more countercultural than any other MO that Jesus calls us to. But there is a richness of joy on the other side of this action. If you and I would just hang in with this one countercultural, really strange idea, we would find that it brings us and it brings God joy. Now, I want to warn you. I talked about giving in like week two, financially. And um, that was nerve-wracking enough. Uh, hang in. I think we're going to find a really great message today for us here at Heartland. But to get there, it's going to require a little bit of an interesting way to do it. And here's the verse. It's found in Hebrews 13, uh, verse 17. It says, have confidence in your leaders. Now, Hebrews was written to a community, a spiritual community of, of, of people who are following Jesus together. And so this leaders here is not necessarily political leaders. It's not necessarily familial leaders. It is spiritual leaders. This is a very spiritual uh, community uh, text here. Have confidence in your leaders. And then can, can we all say the word that gives us hives together out loud? Sub yeah, see, you did it. Okay, now shake it out if you need to. Submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. The, the Greek there says they have to speak on behalf of you. And why? Do this so that their work will be a, here it is, joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Okay, so um, on the surface of this passage, of this text, it seems like a really great passage for a pastor to talk about, right? You're like, man, that's a great passage for you, Dan, but um, I don't like that one much at all. Seems very self-serving. And the reason that this verse sounds harsh to us is because of our world today. We live in a day and age today where abuse of power by spiritual leaders is well documented. Whether it's from the Catholic Church to the Baptists to non-denominational uh, mega churches. The sentiment in our country is that leaders are acting badly. Um, social sentiment towards the church, especially towards clergy. I, I did some research leading up to this message uh, a couple weeks ago because I wanted to kind of get a sense of like real statistics of where are real people thinking about leaders in the church, clergy. And I um, found out that uh, today, uh, sentiment towards leaders in a, is, is the trust in leaders in a church is so low, it's lower than it's ever been. Only three out of 10 people trust a spiritual leader in a church. Going all the way back to 1979, there's never been a day where there's been less trust in our spiritual leaders. And um, I, I want to just go on record and say, yeah, gosh, I get it. Um, I too want better for the family of faith that claims the name of Jesus. Um, more leaders, we want this, right? More leaders following the servant-hearted example of Jesus and less leaders following the ego-driven cult of personality that runs the world today. We believe at Heartland, this is, um, <clears throat> I'm going to say this, this is a great thing for you. If you're ever wondering, like, when do I say that amen word? Do I, do I say it whenever I feel it? Do I say it when he tells me to? I'm just going to tell you, this is going to be one of those moments where what I say, I think you're going to be like, yeah, I want that too. You can say amen after what I say, okay? This is like an all of us agree, kind of all skate in the flying V Mighty Ducks formation, okay? Okay. I think this. We believe here at Heartland that the church ought to be the safest 
place in the world for anyone of any background to participate, to explore Jesus, and to find faith that changes their life forever. We believe that. We believe that we want our church to be for whomever would come in, whatever background you come from. Ironically, a part of um, my own story with, with faith um, it has an intersection with bad leadership in a church setting. I was um, 15, 16 years old and watched a, a situation go down in a church that was a leader acting badly. And I felt this really deep conviction in my heart. I felt God saying like, Dan, I want to call you to just sort of be a part of the, the, the thing that's going on here so that you, you along with other people could be part of the solution, not the problem. And so um, in the midst of a leader acting badly, I decided, you know what's going to show that guy? I'm going to become a pastor. That'll show him. <laughs> I'll work out my own stuff later with a counselor because that's a twisted, twisted thought. But it's interesting to me that as I've followed Jesus into just this calling that he's put upon my life, it's been because of some church hurt. And um, as I've grown older and led longer, I've realized the riskiest place for me to be as a leader is isolated. To be a solo leader or even a head leader or a senior leader. Because there's all this isolation and all these um, temptations that are associated with that. I've, I've realized even, I, I'm young, youngish, I guess, I don't know. My back started to hurt the other day, I couldn't move. So I guess I don't know how young I am anymore. But I'm youngish and I realized that the, the safest way for me to lead is to be amongst others who are leading. That's why I've decided to go all in with a team, to, to take the humble posture of saying, I, I need other people to help me go further together with strength, to protect, to keep, to check out, to, to, or to, to look out for, to check in on my soul. And so um, I think there's a picture of team leadership because a team provides health and accountability, humility and cooperation, and a common commitment to the central main thing. And here's why I want to pull us back to that Hebrews passage. It's because the author of Hebrews is concerned about the main thing never gets lost in the family, the new community that Jesus is forming by his blood. The blood of Jesus has formed a new community. And just like there's a division of responsibilities in our larger community and in our county, there's a, a division of responsibilities in the local assembly of Jesus followers, as it were. Some other day, we'll kind of suss out all of what that means. But for today, I just want to simply say this, is that we can agree that in the community of faith, God sometimes pushes some people to the front. There are people who have been put in positions where they're asked to lead. They're put at the front of the V, as it were, to help bring along the whole on the journey. Hebrews makes no distinction or, or <laughs> makes no bones about who's in charge in the church. It's unequivocally Jesus. Jesus runs, leads, feeds, protects, and builds his church. He's been doing it for over 2,000 years and he's doing a pretty darn good job, I would say. The book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews wants us to know that within the church, there are levels of leadership that are subordinate to Jesus' leadership. There's secondary 
leaders. There is no such thing as a lead leader in the church. That's Jesus' job. But the author of Hebrews used the phrase under shepherds, secondary leaders, people who are called out from amongst the people to bring the whole thing along. We need to get this right, and I want to pause here just for a couple seconds to, to talk about this, because if we don't make this distinction about who runs the church and who leads the church, we will commit one of two errors, both of which are disastrous. If we don't right-size leadership in the church, we will be, as Heartland, stuck in neutral, never going anywhere. And I don't know about you, but I'd find that to be unacceptable. For myself, for my family, and for you, I want us to move somewhere. So here's one of the first errors that, that we can make about leadership is that we could think too highly of our leaders. You say, no, that's not possible in this day and age. Well, I mean, it kind of is. There are voices out in our world who are coalescing people around their personality, leading from their influential status on whatever platform they've built. And so one of the ways that we could fall off of this rail or, or, or lose sight of how God has designed leadership in his church is to is to put up on a pedestal a leader. Say to, you know, at Thanksgiving, you're cutting your turkey with your friends. You go, well, I go to Heartland. <clears throat> I, uh, Dan and Brad and Craig are my pastors. And Craig can bench 400 pounds and Dan's still kind of young. And <laughs> Brad wore the heck out of that bear costume. And we just have the best leaders, the greatest leaders. We're, we, we go, I follow them. And um, because, uh, you know, because none of us are Jesus, <laughs> what happens when that person leads, or leaves or messes up? Typically, the whole thing falls apart. So, so problem number one is to put humans on a pedestal. The opposite error, though, I think is one that we're actually a little bit more susceptible these days. It's if we... If we have been on this route where we just trusted with so much our leaders and then they failed us, we've gone the other extreme into the other ditch, which is to not think about the leaders around us at all. To reject leadership, to, to reject the idea that there are those around us that God has positioned to bring us forward together. This is the error that the author of Hebrews is addressing that we can think too low of leaders. We can suspect them of secret agendas. We can magnify their weaknesses. We, we can make assumptions about their motives. And it leads to a lack of cooperation, a, a, a rejection of this structure that God has put together all together. And, and it will increase the friction and we'll go nowhere. No, to get the joy that is promised to us through this verse, the, this counterintuitive, really countercultural joy that is promised to us of progress, we have to have this right-sizing of leadership. I want to say it this way. This is what the text pushes us towards. It's simply this. It's that, it's that leaders are fellow travelers on the journey with you. Leaders are just fellow people called out from amongst who you are to walk together, to work together. In this case, I'm using a flying V, right? To fly together, you know, fly with me. Uh, and we're going we're to fly together to go further together. And that's what I love about this church right here, Heartland, is that we recognize nobody has arrived to a perfect life with Jesus. We're all just journeying together. 
I'm so grateful for the various ways in which leadership is exercised here at Heartland. You know, it might be easy for us to think about leadership and just the titles lead pastors. You know, we got three of them. That's all nice and good. But I think we ought to recognize the fact that leadership in this church is distributed. That aside from just people who get, you know, a, a title as pastor or a staff member, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of leaders within our community. We have uh, a group of people called a pastoral elder. There are people who love Jesus. They, they care so deeply about other people being cared for in the midst of their pain or their crisis or their confusion or their curiosities. So they meet with people and love people and care for people. We've got other people who um, are leaders of discussions at Bible studies, midweek tables. They lead communities uh, of people who gather around causes or common interests. I love what Brad pointed out to us today, Mike Farmer, and the way that he leads a community of people who are going after Jesus together. Last week, I, I loved watching our baptisms happen because you got to see the investment of people like Shibu and Sagan leading middle school and high school students. But there was one moment in particular where a high school girl who leads in the middle school, did you catch that? We have high schoolers at Heartland who are leading middle schoolers. Is that not awesome? She was sitting here helping baptize last week the people that she's leading to Jesus and leading in life. Is that not incredible? Am I the only one that's kind of like amazed by that? I think that's incredible. I want more of that. I want to encourage more of that. And she's in a position of relational and spiritual influence, which is leadership. And since any, every single one of these leaders is a person, um, no one is perfect. We're all just fellow travelers on the journey. And so what does a spiritual leader do? Well, the author of Hebrews tells us there's they're one who's keeping watch over your soul is one who must give an account. To watch over your soul, it means to have an interest in your continued spiritual growth and the growth of your faith in Jesus. That when times get tough in your life, when you feel like giving up, there's someone to walk with you, to encourage you, to challenge you, to spur you on, to help you take your next step. Um, my grandfather was a pastor, and I remember him telling me once, you know, Dan, uh, it's a lot easier. He said it this way. He's kind of from like the, an, an earlier era. He said, it's a lot easier to win souls than it is to watch over souls. What he meant by that was it's a lot easier just to preach about Jesus and let God do the work, kind of like what I'm doing now. It's just kind of this, this shotgun approach of here's what God says. He said, the harder work is actually watching over the souls. Because to watch over people means you've got to actually live around people. You've got to know their names. You've got to know their stories. You've got to know their backgrounds. You've got to know their successes and their challenges and their desires and their hopes and their dreams. You've got to get into life with the people. And um, that's a hard job full of complicated messes and personalities and problems. All of those are summed up in the word that this, this writer of Hebrews says, it, it, it's the word burdens. It's a hard job to carry the burdens of other people. Why? Well, because the more you and I, tell me if this isn't true, the more you and I get to know other people, the harder it is, it is for us to love those other people. Isn't that the sad reality of life? I mean, don't amen that because your family's right around you. Like, that'd be really embarrassing. 
But you know how that goes. Like the more you kind of find out the stuff about mom and dad, the more you're like, oh my goodness, mom and dad. And, 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 and the more you get to know the, your coworkers or your bosses, the more like the, the, the luster of their personality sort of fades. And the more you get to know your, your pastors and your leaders, the more you realize they're just regular people like you and me. Um, even here at Heartland, I think, you know, I've been here just a short amount of time, but long enough for some of you to be like, man, this guy, gosh. And why is that? It's because, it's because familiarity breeds contempt. Even Jesus wasn't immune from this, right? Even Jesus, when, when he was walking around the earth, uh, he had people who looked at him and said, hey, wait a minute, aren't you Joseph and Mary's son? Aren't you Joseph's son, the carpenter's son? Like, we know who you are. Like, we're not, we're not going with you where you're going, man. You fix tables for a living. Familiarity can be one of the hardest things. And, and the author of Hebrews wants us it's concerned that you and I don't beat each other up the more familiar we get with being around one another. But instead, here's the point, our familiarity and our commitment to Jesus must cause us to work together to see the effect of Jesus, Jesus' first life have it spread in our gatherings and in our congregation and have that spread in our community. The world today accepts leaders for a second and then spits them up, chews them up and spits them out. It's because leadership in the world is based upon position, power, and performance. But the countercultural mo- movement of Jesus is one that's moved by service and submission. It is a totally different thing altogether. It's, it's one of cooperation and grace, of where nobody, especially the leaders, thinks of themselves as higher than they should be. But in humility, they consider others as better than themselves. Brad did an incredible job talking about that last week. If you missed it, I'd love for you to go back and listen. But here's the point. The longer we're together, I think the more easy it gets for the two scary words that were in that passage or in that verse, they become a little bit more joyful to us. If you don't remember what I'm talking about, it's, um, it's the words to have confidence in and to submit to. Now, I want to break this down in, in the Greek language because they're just really two simple words. If you looked at what this verse looked like, it would actually be a lot less words than what we have in English because there, there are words in the Greek that don't necessarily translate perfectly into the English. And there are these two words right off the bat. It's, they rhyme, actually. It's kind of an interesting, like, mnemonic device. It's a, it's a rhyming type of thing. Patho and hupeko. Can you guys all say patho? And hupeko? These are great names for gerbils, I think. If you're looking for like twin, you got twin gerbils and you're like, I just need some, some good Jesus first names. <laughs> I don't know. This, yeah. Uh, Peto. Peto. Uh, here's, what, here's what they mean. I'll just put them both up here. Uh, Peto means to have confidence in. It means to be surely trusted. A, a leader is someone who is reliable. No one gets to lead in any realm of life if you don't show up when you're supposed to show up with the people you need to show up to, right? There's a confidence, there's a reliability. All of our leaders ought to be confidence-inspiring people. But then, but then there's another word, hupeko. It means to submit to. It actually really means to fall in line with, almost in a structure. Here, here's what I love about um, this word first. I'll take patho first. Patho, it's, it's, um, it's trust, here at Heartland, um, so let me let you in behind the scenes of our team leadership model. You can see how this works for us. 
we have spent the better part of a year arguing over how we're going to interact with one another. You're like, I knew you were doing something crazy behind closed doors. We've been chopping it up together to figure out how do we best work together to make sure that no ego rises above anything and the main thing doesn't become the main, it becomes a secondary thing, but it stays the main thing. And we've come up with a set of mutual leadership covenants. And one of these covenants is about being trust-soaked. We talk about this together, Brad and Craig and myself, along with the shepherding guidance of Tom Bronner. We have talked about how to be trustworthy leaders, how to have faith, though. And here's what we've, we've said. There's a statement that we've made together. We say, I will act with integrity, clarity, and compassion so that you can always believe the best about me. We realize that one of the things that will derail a team first and foremost is if we don't have a sense of trustworthiness amongst ourselves. And so what we've said is it's up to me to make sure that I act with compassion and clarity and, and to put my best foot forward so that you can always believe the best about me. And that's what it looks like to, to have faith, though, to, to, to have full confidence in one another, it's to rely upon your leaders. And the second word, uh, hupaiko, it really, it's a military word. And submit is such a harsh word in our language. It really just means to fall in line as in rank and file, almost like a military picture. But the New Testament doesn't really use this word in the sense of a militaristic approach. It actually, I think, is more... It's more along the lines of cooperation, to work cooperatively with others to accomplish the mission. And that's why I love this illustration of the flying V. That's why I think there's wisdom in ducks, not dogs. <laughs> you, ever, you ever seen a team of sled dogs? A team of sled dogs has an alpha dog. One dog who is truly in control, is in the right position, is at the front of the pack and will do whatever it takes to get the team across the line, even to the point where this dog is willing to fight its own team members to establish order and win the right to lead. But to my knowledge, there is no such thing as an alpha duck. <laughs> now, I was wrong about how many people shepherd sheeps uh, here at Heartlands. There's many, apparently. I'm probably also wrong about people who have extensive knowledge of ducks. So if you know of an alpha duck, come tell me later. But as to the best of my knowledge, there's no such thing as an alpha duck. Think about a flying V for a moment. Um, this is a, a picture of a flying V. You've all seen this before. Um, flying V, it's a, this formation that ducks get into when they want to migrate south to the Caribbean. These are, these are geese. And that's, <laughs> that's not me. <laughs> so mallards, they look like, just pretend they're a mallard. Gosh. Canadian geese, maybe? Yeah. See, you guys know a lot about birds. Big, big birds. Um, so that's right, it's still going to work. Um, there's one out in front. And uh, you've all seen this, you, you've watched this before, uh, where, where what they're doing is, 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 is really soaring into the wind, breaking up the friction or the turbulence. And actually that front duck, goose, bird 
It's, go, it's going to flap, right? It's going to be flapping its wings. And, and what's crazy about the flying V, I did a little bit of research here because my degree is in, in um, theology, not birdology. But I did a little bit of research on Google this week and found out some amazing things about birds. Uh, that front bird is creating um, draft, right? Creating a pockets of air that the resistance uh, of the wind is minimal. And uh, if you've ever been on a boat where you kind of have the bow of the boat kind of comes to a point and zips through the water. It pushes out a wake behind it. That wake pushes away from the center. As something splits the resistance, it comes out in like a V shape. And, and, and this resistance that this bird is pushing through is actually creating a wake of ease for the rest of the birds behind it. I had a very nerdy Garmin uh, engineer tell me today how this works. And it was really kind of incredible. He, he told me, he said, what's, what's going on is actually the, the flapping up and down is, crapped, is creating updraft and downdraft so that if these birds kind of scatter themselves out further and further, they catch the pockets of air and their wings are actually lifted rhythmically in, in sequence and, and in synergy with the front bird so that their effort is minimal and their distance is maximal. This is an efficiency model. What I love about the flying V is every once in a while you see the one in the front and go, that's it, I've had it, I'm done. And what does he do? What does it do? It floats back. The next one moves up and takes its place. And I think that's such a beautiful picture of leadership in the church. Because not one person except for Jesus leads forever. Heartland, I will either be fired, die, or quit. And someone else will be teaching you from this stage. Is that not true? Can we talk about that? Yeah, I'd like to just die, okay? So that's my option. But, uh, but, but, but I have no claims to being this duck geese forever. I don't know why we think there's gotta be one leader that we follow. His name's Jesus. The perpetual enduring leader of the church, the leader of the flock is always Jesus. And so it's good for us as a community to know that every once in a while we gotta cycle back. Gotta let others push forward. You know, who we are is actually, I think, this duck right here. It's, um, it's reaping the benefit of the ease that these three ducks or geese are creating in front of it. But it's also, you know, creating some ease for the geese behind it. It's, it's both leading and following simultaneously. It is hupaiko, right? It is in formation and it is patho. It is trusting the leadership of those in front of it. It is exactly situated where it needs to be for the present moment so that it can go further towards its mission the way it needs to. Here's what I learned that's incredible is that if this geese ever decided that that geese was a jerk, that, that, that geese said something wrong or didn't completely agree with the direction or which beach they were going to in Cancun, like that's where they go, right? Cancun. It was like, I'm out. I'm going to find another flock. In fact, I'm going to start my own fee. This, this bird was ever to get out of formation. You know what would happen? Its heart rate would spike twice as much because the wind resistance that it would encounter would be so great. Not only that, the entire thing would slow down. This bird would have to work twice as hard to go twice as slow while the whole thing would be dragging as if it wasn't, instead of it being together. When I heard that this week, I thought to myself, man, that'll preach. Because that's exactly what the author of Hebrews is trying to get our attention on. Because there's so many 
believers in Jesus who really love Jesus but don't like leadership and think in their own life, man, I know how to do this. I could get farther on my own. I don't need that thing. I don't need anybody else around me. It's all corrupt anyway. So they jet out. You can flap your rings twice as hard for a little bit of time, but it gets exhausting. And eventually that bird falls. What the author of Hebrews is trying to tell us is that we shouldn't resist leadership in our lives. That there is no such thing as flying alone in Jesus' church. And Heartland, here's what I love about this message. I love about this message um, is, is that God's, God's word tells us that if you want to experience the joy of the journey, which is your growth and your participation and, and your progress, a growth of your faith and a love for each other, you got to hupaiko. You got to patho. You, you got to get aligned and rely. And here's why. It's the second part of the verse. This is, this is what he says. He says, do this so that their work will be a joy. Now, on the surface, this looks like the joy belongs just to the leader, the, the bird out in front. But that's not entirely true. Let's look at the rest of it. So that their work will be a joy, not a burden. Because that would be no benefit to you. The implications of this verse is that the resistance against leadership and the resistance against cooperation, not only does that create a burden for the rest of the group, it removes joy and removes benefit. But when we're together, joy is the byproduct and benefit happens automatically. What this means for us is so incredible. It's that the, the whole verse is not about the power of the leader, but the power of the whole. The ones in control of the church aren't those who are out in front. It's the whole congregation lined up in formation, moving together on a mission that makes us the church. Here's what the author is saying. If you want to experience the joy of the journey, jump into formation, fly along with others. Not only will you participate in, in bringing joy to the leaders, but it'll be a benefit to you too. This has nothing to do with a pastor trying to convince people to have a frictionless community. This has everything to do with the countercultural action of us looking around at our own spiritual growth and the growth of the community and asking this one question of ourselves Am I just trying to fly alone or am I flying with others together? Spiritually, here's a question. Does anybody in your life talk to you about your faith in Jesus? Do you have people who are walking along this journey with you who have become spiritual guides to you? They don't have to have a doctorate or a PhD or a degree, just someone who's a little bit further down the road just encouraging you in your faith, saying, hey, I, I know it's a tough time and I know that Jesus feels far away and I'm just praying for you and I want you to know that God sent me here just to love on you and to help you and if I can do anything for you, I will, right? Um, as a church, here's the real question. Who do we expect to be the ones flapping our wings around here? Is it just the leaders or is it all of us? 
The author of Hebrews wants to tell us that Jesus first community, it's incredibly fun. It brings us joy if we work together. Here's what I love about this message, Heartland, is because we're already this type of church. We are this. This is us. We are a Mighty Ducks Flying V church. I even thought about changing the name. No longer Heartland, but just Flying V Church. And then you'd all have to explain it, and there'd be this duck thing, and it'd actually be geese, and you'd be embarrassed, and it's easier to call it Heartland. Dan, what does this look like? I mean, I think you're, you're making a point here, and I can get behind that type of leadership, but what does it look like? Um, well, it looks like folks like Mike Farmer caring and spending their time and investing in others, and there's a whole team along with Mike that does this, but just being the person who's out front flapping his wings alongside these guys. Just doing, doing the thing week in, week out. Loving people. Thanks, Mike. It, it also, I think it looks like my Friday. Friday was, um, gosh, the family was here the first service, so I might get teary-eyed, so hang with me. Um, Friday, we did a funeral here for a guy my age. He used to be a Heartlander. Um, before COVID, he would be at the coffee station and then COVID happened and like so many people just kind of started doing the online thing. And um, he, he passed away a couple weeks ago. The day he passed, his mom and dad came to our building here in Olathe looking for a pastor. Um, they came during the hours that our care team was here to, you know, our care team is this uh, group of people who meet at specific times throughout the week to care for the practical needs of our community. People come in with needs and we meet with them right then and there at this specific time. And this family happened to wander into our church on this weekday where um, no pastors were around. I don't know what I was doing. Probably playing golf. It's a pastor joke, sorry. Uh, I wasn't playing golf. But... Um, Nobody, nobody could be found. But there were these two care team members, Gary and April, were at the front doors, kind of providentially positioned by God, just there with this attitude of whoever walks in will help. And in walks this couple, this mom and dad, just grief-stricken. And they cared. They prayed. They cried. They wrapped their arms around this couple they gave him encouragement. They were spiritual leaders in the midst of a really difficult moment. So that was um, a couple weeks ago, and then a few days ago, we did the funeral. In that funeral, we asked Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, to be present leading us through the valley. A few times on Friday, a couple Harlanders came up to me and said, Dan, I don't know how you do it, man. Like preaching a funeral like this is really hard. I don't know how you do it. I can't imagine doing something like this. And um, I don't enjoy it. But the call to the Jesus follower, especially the Jesus followers who are leading in the church, is to watch over souls. If you can expect anything out of your leaders, you got to be able to expect that. To watch over your souls. Gosh, I want to say so many things right now because I want to say like what it's not. It's not about politics. It's not about your, 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 your cars. And not about your, it's about your soul. The main role of a shepherd is to see your passionate relationship with Jesus white hot through the highs and the lows of life.
And so for me, that day, I, I simply couldn't imagine letting a family wander through grief without someone there to guide them and see Jesus present with them in the midst of the hardest days. To hear his voice and to hear his love and his presence when what they expected was Jesus to feel far away. At the service were many of you, including the two from our care team who made first contact with them. And this is all, this is all I'm trying to say. Here's why I tell you this story. It's because leadership in the church is a team sport. It's where the care of souls is first and foremost. And if we can get that together, there is no question the amount of joy that you and I will feel as we journey together towards Jesus. If, if we can get together on this whole thing of Jesus first, his blood for me and for you, creating a new community, not one where we fight and we bicker, but one where we work together, it will be joy, not just for the leaders, but for everyone. Here's why I tell you that story is because I think the longer you spend around the church, the more comfortable with churchy things you get and the less the mission becomes about helping the furthest from home find Jesus and it becomes more about my own personal preferences. And we let the main thing become a secondary thing because of something else. It's the religious people who fight about the dumb stuff. I think the number one sign that a church has lost its mission is that the leaders of the church have to demand respect from the people. The number one sign of health is that people in the church have a spirit of team and love to work together to care for people because it's the main thing that Jesus called us to do. I want you to know, Heartland, you're doing this, we're doing this, and we're committed to doing this forever. We're bringing God joy with how we're stepping out into knowing and loving our community. I want you to know this, and I think this is important, especially on a day where this text could be easily manipulated by a pastor. I want you to know this, you're bringing me, you're bringing our lead team, you're bringing our staff joy by how you've participated. Even post COVID, as so many people have stepped out of online back into engaging in person and have really engaged in ministry and loving people and serving people in leadership. Thank you, it brought me joy. But I can't help but believe the joy that exists personally for you is absolutely astronomical if you would just stop fighting to be a lone ranger and jump in to the flying V. It's so, so cheesy. So cheesy. But that's you. That's me. We're flying together. That's what Jesus wanted. Joy is fuel to the mission and so we're going to keep the main thing the main thing that Jesus gave of himself so that we could be found by him and share his love with a world that needs his joy. I'm going to resist the urge to have us all do like a quack, quack. Because you know what I mean. Like that's, yeah. You'll never watch the movie again the same way. What I do want to do is uh, point your attention two verses later in Hebrews. I want to give a benediction. This is the benediction to the letter itself. And benedictions are good words. It's the way to leave a blessing upon someone at the end of a thing. And, and we did this a couple of weeks ago. I just encourage you when, when a Hebrew audience would receive these good words, they would look at the person blessing them. They wouldn't close their eyes. They wouldn't bow. They would just receive the words. And so I just want to give you these as 
just straight out of Scripture. It says, Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead Jesus Christ our Lord, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will. May he work in us what is pleasing to him through Christ Jesus, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. 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 We love you, church. We'll see you next week.